Welcome to On the Air with Palantir, a podcast by Palantir.net, where we go in-depth on topics related to web design and development. This is our premiere episode of this podcast. It's a new thing we're doing for 2016, so thank you for joining us as we grow this podcast over time. I'm Allison Manley, an account manager here at Palantir, and today my guests are Andy Gradle and Christine Fagan from Mainline Health, which is a healthcare system based just outside of Philadelphia. They're going to share with us their recent experience with redoing the website for Mainline Health from soup to nuts. It's quite a large project that is still underway with a launch date expected later this spring. So let's get on with the interview. I'm here with Andy Gradle, the Director of Digital Marketing, and Christine Fagan, who is the Web Content Manager. How are you guys doing today? Great. Thank you. Hey, so far, so good. Thanks for having <laughs> us. Well, thank you guys for agreeing to be the guinea pig for our first episode of this podcast. We're really excited about this. Um, we've loved working with you on this project, and we wanted to get your uh, input about the recent project for Mainline Health. Um, you had contacted Palantir to do phase one, which was discovery, strategy, and design of the new MainlineHealth.org, while development would be phase two and follow at a later time and with a separate budget altogether. So, um, Andy, would you be able to provide us with a quick overview of the project? Yeah, and here we are. I mean, we're basically at the halfway point in the project where we just wrapped up you know, phase one, which was really, really design and research. And it's a great project because here we have an organization whose website launched, I believe the initial website went live late 90s, around 2000, maybe 2001. It went through an initial redesign, I believe, a couple years ago when the organization rebranded, but it was all on the surface. The organization's website really has grown organically over the years, and it's, it's a reflection of the organizational structure as opposed to how people actually look for you know, healthcare and clinical content. And you know, it's a very complicated structure because you know, the whole website has just kind of grown into this hospital by hospital you know, siloed um, architecture that then is you know, requiring people to go and before they find what service they're looking for, we're asking them to kind of pre-select a location. And that'd be great if each of our locations offered all the same services, but they don't. So it's just, it's, it's just a Pandora's box of content that, I mean, this, this project is totally going to unravel. And I mean, there's so many benefits that, I mean, we have the content structure, I mean, you know, Christine, we've got, you know, the mobile traffic, which is, has totally, you know, increased over the past couple of years and, you know, just the need to kind of offer them something that's a little more friendly to their, to their screen size and, and, you know, the platforms are viewing on. And I think I would add, um, obviously, yeah, the website has, you know, it was, it's like a, likened it to a garden that has grown out of control. And so it needs to, um, you know, be, be brought back in and cut down the weeds. And I think we were making it very difficult for patients and visitors to understand easily how to navigate our system. So I think that that's one of the um, biggest challenges that we've had um, with design and then also just letting people know who Mainline Health is when we talk about the content and, and what we offer and what we want our personality to be. You know, and I kind of equate it to the, the analogy I keep using is, we're really good at sodding, but we're really bad at watering. <laughs> you know, we, we have 15,000-ish pages of content out there, and we've been adding, 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 but it takes real discipline and structure to be able to kind of, you know, go and water that grass and make sure that you're, you're pulling it back when you, you really should be. All right. Well, let's. I wanted to address one thing Christine said real quick. You mentioned we want to let people know what mainline health is. So why don't you actually tell us what is mainline health? <laughs> Because that I know that there's a couple answers to that question. Should I let Should I let Andy go first, or you want me to? Do you want me to tell? I mean, I think um, you, we we are a health system, and we're made up of hospitals and you know buildings and office locations and those sorts of things. But I think at least for the content piece, in addition to knowing that we offer all these services that are great, that are close to your home, that you don't need to travel downtown to get. Um, from the content perspective, I think we want people to know that we are friendly, easy to work with, easy to navigate, and that's something that our website really wasn't um, you know, showing um, potential patients. And that really is kind of the, the guiding light, I guess, for this project, where, I mean, we're, we're in an insanely competitive health market. 
you know, in Philly, within what 15, 20 miles of where we're located, we're in the western suburbs of Philadelphia. You know, you have thirteen, you know, big, scary health systems. I mean, and that's not individual offices. You know, but in in our market, we have some of the biggest academic medical centers in the country. We have tons of strong community health systems out here, all competing for the same pie. And you know, Philly is one of the least consolidated healthcare markets in the country, and it it may or may not happen. You know, we've seen some consolidation start to start to occur over the past couple months, but until it does, I mean, it's it's probably one of the most competitive healthcare markets. And if we want to survive, if we want to be here you know, five, 10, 20 years down the road, you know, we really have to become the easiest healthcare system to deal with. So if people are going to choose us over some of the um, large academic medical centers, I mean, we can offer the same level of care, but there's, there's kind of that perception that going to an AMC is a different level of care. So we have to make sure that we've positioned ourselves as we can offer quality care and we can get you in the door in three clicks, maybe four clicks. Because on the high end, we have the AMCs, and then I don't wanna say on the low end, but you know, on the other side of the business, we have you know, your minute clinics and you know, your CVSs, your Walgreens, you know, your Walmarts, all these other retail-focused providers entering the market. So you know, we have to figure out our space in the middle, and that's really what this website project's all about. It's like, how can we get people to what they need quickly and easily. So those are some great goals, obviously. Get everyone there quickly and easily. Three clicks or less. So what were the obstacles to be able to get there? You have a very a, a variety of audiences. You've got patients and caregivers first and foremost, but you also have doctors. You have media who are looking for experts because the best way also to get the name out there is for the media to contact you instead of some of those academic medical centers for experts in various things. And you have just the general public because you do offer a fair amount of classes. Um, you know, if someone wants to learn how to install a car seat, for example, if they're a new mom, you know, you want them to take a class at Mainline Health. So um, what were some of the obstacles you faced in getting all of that information consolidated in an easy way? I guess there's really two buckets there. I mean, we have the internal audience and the external audience. And in some ways, the external audience is actually the easier one to understand because we have data. You know, we can basically let the data lead us to where we need to go. And that's where, you know, the vast majority of our visitors are patients. So, and actually patients are driving our business. So, of course, that was easy to then kind of craft the navigation and, and the major homepage calls to action around you know, what really makes up at least 70% of our traffic. And then from there, the challenge is how do you focus on that 70% but then still allow that remaining 30% of your traffic, you know, your, your job seekers, your researchers, your, your healthcare professionals, how do you still give them access to that content? And you know, knock on wood, you know, we, we think we have a good you know, UX planned and, and we'll be set with that. The, the, I think the tougher, sell in some ways was the internal audience because here you had 15 years of history with this website that was very hospital centric and even though we're all part of the same health system i mean each hospital i mean they have their own beds to fill so we were going out to you know the internal stakeholders and trying to sell them on this concept of if we make it easier for people to find what they need on our website everyone will do well. And it's not about promoting hospital A over hospital B, it's about getting the user to what they need and then allowing them to determine which hospital's right for them. And, and that's, that's really the big challenge because no amount of data can overcome you know, your internal biases or some of that history or just you know, the power struggles. And, and we've been very lucky up to this point. I mean, everyone, you know, we went around, you know, of course, with everyone from Palantir, you know, we, uh, we went around and spoke to about 125 stakeholders over the course of a couple of days, really giving the same presentation over and over and over again. And we got very good at it by the end and, you know, really selling this concept. And here we are about eight to nine months into this project and everyone's bought into this. You know, the question is, 
during our preview period in a couple months when we allow everyone internally to kind of play with the new website for a couple weeks, you know, will we be able to keep that momentum going and, and everyone will be happy with the end result? And, and I would add, um, I think that, um, you know, Palantir's work on the strategy and the design piece um, is very helpful in getting people to buy in um, to the concept because it's very difficult to get people on board with taking a system approach and, um, you know, that approach to content without having a really, really solid strategy and design because um, it just reinforces what you're trying to tell them and they'll buy into it and believe that you're going to deliver a product. Um, that's good. And I think people overall are just visual people um, <laughs> regardless. So speaking to that, I mean, you mentioned your analytics earlier and also trying to get buy-in internally. I think the analytics were key in allowing that to happen. I mean, there was some really fantastic data and metrics that really proved to the internal stakeholders that this is how users are looking for items on the website. This is where they're getting stuck. This is where they're getting lost. This is how they're circumventing the system, if you will. And then even I thought one of the most interesting ones f on my end was the difference between organic search versus paid search. Um, as you've mentioned, Andy, to me before, there were certain areas in the marketplace where you know you're not going to be on page one of Google just because of a, a number of factors, maybe for breast cancer or you know, maybe you can tell us a better example. But um, So you wanted to be able to be more strategic about how you spent that money internally. Can you speak to that a little bit? You know, I love, by the way, that you will call our stats that aren't really up to snuff fantastic analytics. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, it's, it's, it's good to kind of have that starting point and you know, you know, what you're shooting for, you know. And, yeah, I mean, we've got you know, a decade of, of analytics to work from. And, I mean, just looking through some of those key metrics there, you know, um, I mean, one of the biggest ones for me was the fact that, what, 59% of our traffic is organic. And along my, my career path here, I, I've been lucky where I've been in a couple of hospitals. So I kind of insight into, you know, their data. And the last two hospitals I've been at, you know, uh, it was more than 70% of the traffic that was being derived from organic search. So right there, I mean, boom, there's an easy win for us. But then the other things, you know, when we're looking at like things like bounce rate, you know, the fact that, um, what was it? Was it 60%? Yeah. Just coming to our site and leaving after one page. You know, it's, it just boggles my mind that, I mean, we've got 2.5 million unique visitors a year, which is this insane number. I mean, I remember working, the first hospital website I was working on in the early 2000s, we had about 4,000 visitors a month. And now we're talking at 2.5 million unique visitors. And, and the organization's been really lucky that, you know, we have this, this built-in audience, so we've been able to kind of overcome some of these poor metrics. You know, but at the same time, when you look at them and go, wow, if we can just improve that bounce rate by 10% or 5% or, I mean, the gains we're going to be able to show um, – you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's off the charts. It really is. And that's, that's the great part about the external audience, you know, having all of that data to really, you know, really drive the project. Uh, so I was just going to say, you know, I think that, uh, you know, another thing that's really important is I think, you know, Andy's been very focused on um, looking at organic search as the main driver of traffic to the website. And, and like you mentioned, capitalizing on opportunities because in the past, you know, we hadn't really used, you know, keyword research and those things to guide the content. We were, you had marketing people developing marketing brochures and everyone wanted it to go, um, go live. And I think it's been, um, you know, a journey to get people to understand the message that we actually have information about what people are looking for and we can improve this um, and show them that to you know further get buy-in on on the content and how it's being written and it just makes us develop content in a much smarter way to try to capitalize on those opportunities and that really does put an internal web team like us in a great position especially if it's an organization like ours that is so traditionally marketing focused minded whatever you want to call it i mean you know we, we have a, a decent marketing budget, but the vast majority still goes towards, you know, your traditional media, you know, newspaper, TV, radio, outdoor, you know, all that stuff. And, and this is, I mean, true for many healthcare systems. Um, in fact, I mean, most healthcare systems are spending less than 10% of their marketing budgets on digital media at this point, and that includes search marketing. So, you know, the, the digital team's kind of been there just picking up the scraps. But the awesome thing is, of 
everything that everyone is doing, we're one of the few mediums that actually has stats. So we can you know, track this stuff. And, and that's really you know, what, what we're excited about you know, with the next iteration of the website is, is just creating more opportunity for us to track these things you know, through Google you know, Analytics events and more you know, click to call on the mobile side. I mean, that's a great thing. What, 39% of our traffic right now is coming from mobile devices. So that means almost four out of 10 people, they can just click a phone number right in a page. So we, you know, for years, we've talked about how people would use our website as part of a showcasing process where they would go, they would spend you know, a couple minutes finding a doctor, then they pick up the phone and call. And then we're praying that the person in the call center says, oh, how did you hear about us today? And that person that's you know, on the phone says, oh, I was on your website. You know, that's, that's a real leap of faith. In a couple months, once we go live with the new responsive site, you know, I'm looking forward to having actual data saying that more people are clicking to call from physician profiles and specialty pages, or this blog post drove that many calls and, and things like that. And, and you know, not, not to speak disparagingly of traditional media, because, I mean, I, I think digital just makes the pie bigger. It doesn't need to take from everyone else necessarily. But the great thing is that you know, everything else we're doing out there is still going to drive people to one central phone number, you know, for branding purposes, where we'll be in the position to track each and every interaction, which is awesome. Yeah. All right. So one of my favorite statistics, I think, and I love this because especially of the way Andy frames it, is the fact that of the top 20 pages visited on the mainline health site, 52% of traffic goes to just those 20 pages. However, the entire mainline health site is 15,000 pages. So more than half of your traffic is only 20 pages of those 15,000. And we've joked about how we could actually remove half of the website just one morning, you know, have a cup of coffee, delete half the website, and no one would notice for a month. Exactly. Which is, I mean, it's funny, <laughs> it's sad, but I mean, how many organizations are like that out there? I right. mean, my last two hospitals, each of those sites, I mean, they were 10,000, 15,000 pages, you know, but that's the problem. All these, you know, everyone, everyone wants content on the website, you know, and I think the biggest challenge after launch and, and God bless you, Christine, this is going to be rough because, you know, we're going to have to tell people, no, you know, we have to be the, the gatekeepers of that content. And as much as we, as much as we like to sod, you know, we have to make sure that people aren't just laying grass needlessly. And I think that, um, especially healthcare organizations, a lot of um, a lot of people find that they have a lot of duplicate content, which was our biggest problem. So, like we mentioned, we had four hospitals, so we had four sets of content that may or may not be exactly the same, a little bit different, and then one more system level page. So, I think even just breaking down the duplicate content on the site helps to um, to weed that and to improve your your SEO. So, I think that was something that we really needed to get the organization to focus on and drill into. And so. Um, I'm sure other people have that struggle as well. well. I think it's a constant struggle. I mean, all of our clients, one of the first questions out of their mouths is, you know, I've got all this content. How do I deal with it? Because, frankly, we can design a fantastic architecture, back end, a front end visual look. But the reason people go to your website is because of the content. Um, so it's a challenge for any client how best to write it, how best to surface it, repurpose it, make it work for your organization, but also to know when to delete it so that it's not diluting all the other content that you're trying to surface on purpose. So it's, it takes a lot of restraint and organization in a way to, to know how to use your content. So you do have a very solid but small content team here at Mainline Health. So can you, can you talk a little bit about how you're dealing with the content, how you're making those choices to archive or delete things that aren't working, um, how you're approaching writing new content and, and what your new governance looks like? Um, sure. I think as far as, um, you know, adding or deleting content, um, I think, you know, one of the um, telling things um, about our website is, you know, just looking at 
like all the content in a content um, worksheet that literally has the last updated date. And we literally have pages that haven't been updated in 10 years. So I think that, um, you know, one is, you know, just taking a look at, does anybody you know, if no one's caring for this, nobody cares and no one's visiting it. If we look at the analytics and, um, you know, we see no one's updating it, no one's looking at it. I mean, those are pretty easy choices, right? So you, you delete those. Um, from there, I think, you know, getting rid of the duplicate content was a really big thing. I mean, when you look at, you have, you know, content replicated five times so you can sort of cut out the the other four and you keep you keep one good piece of content so um as far as adding and deleting i think we're just looking at you know what's the traffic like there um is it is it duplicate uh, has it been updated you know and you know is this important to the organization um and so as far as you know content development and and how we're deciding um how, what to keep or rewrite or um what to start fresh on um, we've developed a, a process here. I think one of the most important things that I would recommend um, to anyone doing this, especially in healthcare, is to try to go to like one source of truth to get your answer. Because I think, um, like we mentioned before, you, we had four hospitals, and um, each people are interested in their own piece of the pie. But if you can call upon one person who can tell you the whole story, I mean, it just cuts down on the amount of you know weigh in and, and all of those things having one person to go to rather than five. Um, so what we've tried to do here in the healthcare space is um, use system chiefs or chairs of departments because we're absent um, real system level marketing people who can answer these questions for us. Um, but we've gone out to them sort of saying, this is what we think the story is. You know, can you, can you verify these are all the offerings that are you know, offered at Mainline Health. This is how a patient should navigate the system for your service line area. These are all the things that we think are important. Um, so we're from a clinical perspective and we're covering, um, we're researching conditions and treatments and we're using SEO to develop that content. We're sharing that research with them, which is makes the conversation much easier when you can go in with a spreadsheet and show actual numbers and say, this is what we think we should write about rather than sitting down and saying, hey, what, you know, what should we write about for your service line today? So um, that's another tip I would recommend. Um, and then, you know, we're going out to the marketing people to get them to buy into this whole process to say, can you tell us what you think the features and benefits are from a system level? And, and that's how we're using what um, what they know and their knowledge to incorporate it into the content. So um, I think we're covering the clinical and the marketing people in that way. We're using solid research. On, we're looking at analytics. We're looking at um, Google keywords. Um, and then I think the most important thing will be once the site launches, um, you know, on the other side to really track those things to show those improvements like we talked about you know, time on page, decreasing bounce rate, and those sorts of things. So um, we've been very lucky, we, but we are a small team. We have um, one web writer and then one other web production person. So, um, you know, it's been challenging, but it can be done with a small team is what I would say as well. And it's definitely tough, too, from, from a healthcare perspective. I mean, there's almost no other vertical. If you think about it, like, Amazon has millions of products that they have to write descriptions about and keep track of and all that. But for the most part, their products don't talk and think and have opinions. You know, our entire product line is doctors. <laughs> so that's, that's the tough part is that, yeah, we're, we're coming up with, with this content strategy and we're trying to get this whole workflow in place. And at the end of the day, your products all have an opinion about how they're marketed. So, <laughs> I mean, that, that, is, that is the challenge, is really kind of setting up those, those clear boundaries as to who's making those decisions because that can easily derail a project like this. I mean, all of a sudden, you know, we, we joke about how, how everyone in the organization is a webmaster. You know, that's other duties as assigned, including webmaster for every position <laughs> in the organization. So, you know, having those defined boundaries and and processes in place you know really helps keep you know one doctor or one person from calling up and asking for something that is just totally off the rails and you know we're, we're going to be in a great place where we'll be able to say no and it's not going to be easy it's not going to make us the most popular people you know in class but at the same time i mean we're going to be in a great place because then as long as we kind of just follow these processes and we have a set approach, I mean, the, the stats are going to follow. Well, and then in, in addition to the initial stats and all the analytics that we looked at that you've been collecting for, you know, 10 years at this point, we also did three rounds of usability testing through the process to sort of back up the decisions that were made during the design process 
Um, that, of course, the foundation of which were those initial Google Analytics. You know, we knew that people were getting lost in certain areas. They were having trouble making an appointment, for example. Um, they, they really abandoned the appointment form, according to your Google Analytics, you know, point hey, two. We, of we people... did have a, a nearly 30% success rate there. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was a 70% failure rate. Right. Yeah, but right there, that's another thing. If, if, if we get an extra 5% of people to complete that form, I mean, right. it's those. Th those little wins are going to mean so much. Right. They really add up. And, and that was one of the sticking points was um, how do people make an appointment? How do we get them to finish the form? And um, so we did do three rounds of usability testing, one of which was on the information architecture to make sure that we made the paths easy. Um, and then oh, prior to that, we had actually done an email survey to your 30,000 subscribers from your email list to get their feedback on the current site, what they liked about it, what they didn't like about it. And then the last test was uh, a test of the actual prototype and the designs to make sure that people could find information now that it was put into a visual uh, placeholder, if you will. So how critical for you was the usability testing that was done to sort of get those touch points along the way and back up the data? I think it was great. I mean, that's, that's the thing. Plus, we also did the, the in-person focus group as well, which if anyone listening who hasn't tried that yet it's definitely not easy to get a bunch of people together in one room. And it's also, it might be out of the comfort zone a little bit because, you know, as computer people, we're used to staring at screens and not actually talking to people. But getting, you know, 10, 15, 20 of your users in a room all staring at the same thing on the screen, I, it really opened my eyes when, you know, they're looking at our current homepage and we said, well, where would you go to find an appointment? Now, for anyone listening that hasn't seen our site, find an appointment or make an appointment, sorry, is in the right column. It's a big blue button on the homepage. It's probably the second biggest thing next to the hero image. So we have you know, 15 people in a room. We're asking them where they would click. Not one person saw the big blue button. And it was the hardest thing to not just jump out of my seat and point at it on the screen and, you know. But, I mean, it really starts to open your eyes as to, you know, your design that you're living with every single day. You know, you know where everything is, you know. But all of a sudden, I mean, these other people that interact with you one or two times a year, you know, it, it's a different world for them. And I think the, you know, the old adage about people reading screens in Fs hold true. Our primary calls to action are currently in the right column, which is the place where no one is looking. You know, so that's the kind of stuff you just you just don't know until you get people in a room. But then also the great thing is the the other, you know, the other testing, you know, the the click tests and the sorting tests and all that. You know, when we're talking about the internal politics, I mean, a lot of this kind of reaffirmed things we already knew. But without that data, you're not winning those battles. And all of a sudden, when you say to people, yeah, we're going from 12 primary navigation items to four without that data, you're probably looking for a new job or you're going back to 12 navigation items. And, and I would say um, the great thing about the in-person focus group is I think you get a lot more context than you would when you're just seeing the results. It's, it's much more interesting in person to see someone get frustrated or aggravated because they really can't find something um, and be able to see that in person really just, um, you know, brings it more to life about what the actual experience is like um, for the person on the website. Right. I mean, there were a couple people who would just say, why is that there? You know, what, what is the purpose of that? And then the uncomfortable <laughs> silence that followed. <laughs> We'd say, I wish we knew the answer to that. <laughs> well, at the start of this project, you all internally were choosing between having the site built on Sitecore or Drupal. Ultimately, Sitecore was chosen, but why were those options the most appealing for mainline health's needs right, right from the beginning? And Adobe was in the mix as well. Um, so really, I mean, we were we were looking at the three you know, top-rated CMSs, according to Gartner. And you know, early on, we ended up narrowing it down to to Sitecore and Drupal. And each has pros, each has cons. And you know, I'm I'm personally a big fan of Drupal. You know, I I was tempted to go into all those meetings with my Drupal T-shirt on, and you know, and I I love Drupal because obviously there's an insane amount of flexibility. And I really think for a small team like ours in an organization that you know, is, is budgeting the money for this project, 
but healthcare traditionally isn't spending, you know, seven figures every single year on on web redesigns and development and you know, the way this goes is a lot of times an organization will, will put a lot of money into a project like this. And then the next couple of years, you know, you're kind of fighting for scraps, you know, to develop. So that's where I looked at something like Drupal and said, you know what, this is where if we have the money to make it happen, we can spend the money once we do it right. And then if the money's still there in year two, three, four, we're in awesome shape. If it's not there, we then still had the flexibility to use the you know, module contributions from the community to continue moving the site forward. And you know, I think it's a great strategy, especially you know, for, for any hospital out there where you know, development money could be an issue later, you know, later down the road. Um, our brethren in IT were leaning more towards the Sitecore option. I mean, obviously, if you're, if you're immersed in kind of an an IT Microsoft centric world, you know, and, and if your entire day revolves around network security, if your entire day is all about not necessarily kind of innovation and pushing the web development envelope, but trying to just keep everything safe. Sitecore, you know, became a very, very attractive, you know, um, option for, for the IT group. Now Sitecore, by the way, um, I've described it to Allison as it's it's basically a more expensive, slightly less friendly Drupal. <laughs> you know, it does. I mean, they really do do a lot of the same things in the same ways. Um, but obviously, you have the additional licensing costs there. You are developing a lot more custom code because instead of you know, thousands of modules to choose from, you have a library of a couple hundred. Um, so... You know, it really comes down to whether the organization is open to open source and comfortable with open source, or if they, you know, aren't comfortable, then do they have the, the financial means to kind of take on that extra development and licensing? And, and I'm not going to lie. I mean, it, it definitely added cost to the project. We're, we're probably at about an extra 30% over what you know, we probably would have been in a Drupal world. But the great thing is, I mean, either option really will get us to that endpoint and really get us uh, away from, like right now we're operating on technology that's probably probably about 10 years old and you know, there's no interrelational taxonomies. There's no, there's very little dynamic content on our current website. And you know, believe me, I mean, the person I'm probably nicest to in the office every day, sorry, Christine, is our, is our web producer, Cheryl Lynn because she's going in and editing these pages, you know, it's like when the US news badges needed to be updated, that wasn't changing one badge in one place and having it propagate out to 60 pages. That was 60 pages she went into and inserted an image into manually. So whew, be nice to your web producer because he or she, if she's working in an older CMS, is doing a lot more work than they need to. And that's where, I mean, no matter whether we went open source or proprietary, just go, getting on modern technology really, really is gonna be such a leap forward for us. Yeah, I mean, right there is just a great business case for redoing the site at all, because there's some money you have to spend when you have someone going in to the same page 60 times, or, or 60 different pages, rather, than being able to update it once and have it propagate out. I mean, that's a lot of hours burned uh, and it's also, you know, it's one of those things where people in the organization, I mean, extremely excited and supportive of the project, but sometimes when you talk about the cost, they go, well, that's a lot of money for X or a lot of money for Y. And, and you know, the organization's spending that money no matter what. It's, it's, it's lost hours and salary that you just don't feel because, you know, it's just, it's quote unquote, just salary. You know, it's not a check you're writing out of your, your budget directly. Um, and then also even just having a bad design, you know, okay, our 60% bounce rate, that's something that people don't notice they're walking down the halls in our organization. So they're not feeling it. Now, mind you, if we were Target and 60% of people walked in the front door, turned around and walked out. <laughs> just imagine that image, you know, on Black Friday, you have the mob of people, they all rush in, and then 60% of the people before they even get a cart leave. You know, if, if you could see the loss, then you, you definitely, you know, appreciate it a lot more. 
Right. And then another um, financial loss, too, was just where you're spending your money on paid search, you know, not being able to be more strategic about where you are, uh, you know, uh, applying those dollars for certain content. So it's uh, there's a lot of business cases there for redoing a site, but it's it's tough to find them and convince stakeholders at times, I think. Yeah. What I've been saying a lot lately is um, what is it? All the things we'd be doing if we weren't doing the things we're doing. <laughs> you know, it's all that time we're spending manually updating pages. We could be doing so much, you know, like more fun stuff. And that's really at the end of the day, you know, we, we want to do neat stuff, but you can't do neat stuff if you have to spend all your time doing the, the nuts and bolts menial stuff. And I would say if you're someone who is looking for things that you need to build a business case to redo your site and get buy-in just to get, you know, get approval to do it, um, I think if someone off the cuff sort of looked at the overall numbers and looked at, oh, traffic is increasing, great. Online appointments are increasing, great. But you have to, I think, dig a little bit deeper into the statistics to build the case. So, you know, sometimes I would say for people, just because you're looking at top level and on the surface everything looks okay, um, if you need to build the case, maybe dig a little bit deeper to, to frame that conversation. Yeah, we've all been really lucky that those top level numbers keep going up, and and not to uh, not to make my LinkedIn page and the stats on it look <laughs> less valuable. But yeah, I mean it's it's easy. It's been easy to increase traffic over the past ten years. Everyone's been buying phones. Everyone's been getting laptops and tablets. And you know, it sounds impressive going from five thousand visitors, you know, a year at Cooper University Hospital in two thousand one to two point five million. You know, it looks like. You know, we all know what we're doing, but in a way, I mean, that's just kind of how things have happened. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now this is the tough part. It's like, how do you get them coming back? Because I, I'm under no illusion that, you know, that 2.5 is going to become 3 million. I mean, we, we may be plateauing and now we have to optimize. Right. Well, so you've only been with the Sitecore team for a couple of weeks. Can you speak to how that's going or is it too early at this stage? <laughs> It's pretty early. Um, we actually, you know, we haven't haven't installed our, our dev server yet. So, I mean, everything right now, it's it's all discovery and initial architecting. And, you know, we'll, we'll be able to speak to that in a couple months. But there's some exciting stuff we've got planned for the site, um, including, you know, geolocation and personalization and, and, and all the things that surprisingly not many healthcare organizations have embraced. I mean, such as well, there's really there's if you look at it, there's like five thousand ish hospitals in the country, and you know amongst us we can probably name you know the fifty to one hundred hospitals that are really pushing the envelope or not even pushing but have just you know embraced digital marketing and um you know of those fifty to one hundred hospitals though, very few are offering you know implicitly personalized experiences on their website. Or if they are, they're doing it so well that I haven't actually noticed because, you know, it's been so implicit. But, yeah, it, it's, it's kind of a touchy subject because unlike, unlike Amazon where I'm okay with the fact that it shows me, you know, kids' toys and romance novels and, you know, the latest hairband CDs all on the homepage because that's the things my wife and kids and I have looked for over the past couple of weeks. You know, doing that in healthcare could be a little weird. So I mean, you don't want someone to go to like a breast cancer page on your website and then all of a sudden they return to the homepage and it's breast cancer central, you know? So it's definitely, it has the potential to be a slippery slope for an organization. You know, if they don't do it correctly and if they don't do it with the intent that every decision they make has to benefit the customer. You know, um, that, and that's tough by the way, when you're in a marketing department where it's all about driving business, you know, we're, we're going to have to once again hold that line as well where, you know, we say, no, we're not going to personalize this because it's not going to enhance the patient experience, mm -hmm. you know, but a lot of organizations, you know, really haven't, they've dipped their toe in that water, but, but they're not doing full on personalized experiences. So, uh, we'll see if that's a lesson that everyone else has learned that, that we're about to learn or if it's, or if we're really, uh, pushing the boundaries. Great. I was just going to say, also think, just to add on to that, when we talked about the in-person focus groups, I think there was a lot of um, feedback from the group of why am I seeing X content? This has nothing to do with me. So I think that just reinforces, even though it has to be done in a very sensitive way, the fact that people do want to see things that they're interested in rather than the messages that we want to put out to them. Fair enough, yeah. 
Well, Andy, you mentioned you've done this before, this type of project, because you've completed the redesign and relaunch of a website for your previous previous employer, which was also healthcare. So what lessons did you learn from the previous projects that you were able to apply to this one? I think the biggest thing, and, and this took me a long time to figure out, I mean, this is basically how the websites in these organizations have just grown in importance over the years. Because my first redesign and second redesign were both at uh, Cooper University Hospital where it was just the web team and we just decided one day, eh, we're bored, let's redesign the website. And we went off, we redesigned, and we went to our boss about a week before we launched and our, our boss at the time was saying, oh, great job, launch it. We launched it and that was it. And then we kind of went on with the rest of our lives. And that was really from like 2003 to about 2009 or 10 or whatever. You know, the website was there, but people weren't paying that much attention to it. At Jefferson University Hospital, um, the website was was much more. Um, the website was a much larger part of the hospital's marketing initiatives, and that's where I really started to learn just how you had to kind of get stakeholder buy-in and, and you really had to work with a lot of people throughout the organization and, and you couldn't just steamroll design through. And there we actually had a five-month turnaround from design to launch when the organization was rebranding. So it was actually a very easy process in a way because, I mean, we had, you know, the CEO was basically the the biggest stakeholder at the time and if he said yay or nay, you know, we were good to go. But I kind of, kind of took that here at Mainline Health as, okay, now we have 125 stakeholders in a way. I mean, that, that, was, that was the number of people we talked to and interacted with internally over the course of a couple of days and, and really just you know, the importance of getting everyone on the same page because if you don't, I mean, the whole website will either – be perceived as a failure no matter what you do. I mean, really, we've talked about how if we can bat 700 or 800 with this project, it's a huge win. I mean, huge win. I mean, there's things that we're not going to be able to get right out of the gate. And if you don't have everyone you know, buying into the ultimate vision, those, you know, like couple things that you don't get right out of the gate will just dog you the rest of the way. So I think I mean, that's probably the biggest lesson is just trying to figure out how to navigate the political waters and, and you know, get it done right. I mean, I guess the other thing, too, um, really would be just trying to get the sense of your audience's needs. And that was something where, you know, years ago we were all just happy to have websites. But part of just optimizing the experience, you know, it's, it's you know, really you know, putting yourself in, in the audience's shoes and – and trying to figure out what is it they need versus what is it you're trying to tell them that they probably don't need. <laughs> so it's, it's finding that balance, you know, which, which is tough. So would you say then that the um, stakeholder buy-in was the biggest challenge of the project, or do you think there was something else that was larger? Do you think managing expectations or dealing with the content or – um, scheduling conference rooms, which I know has been an issue here occasionally. Um, um, what would you I'm, say was the biggest challenge? I'm going to say all of that. Okay. Because really, I mean, that's the thing. With a small web team like this, I mean, really, you know, we've got one, two, three, four people that are that are doing this full time. You know, there's a lot of risk there because there's so many moving parts. I remember years ago listening to someone from MD Anderson talking about how they they re-architected their website, they rewrote all the content, they redesigned and re-platformed all at once. And the website was beautiful. This is me around 2010, 2011, they relaunched. But I remember how tired the person looked, and he said, I will never do that again. Pick one thing and do it. And then you know, follow that with something else and something else. Well, we're doing it all at once. You know? And that, that's a risk. That's a risk. I mean, our, our boss, you know, really wanted this entire project to be like a nine-month engagement from, from, you know, research and strategy to design to implementation to content to, you know, thank God it became an 18-month project. But even that, to redo all these pages with, you know, four people is tough. So that is probably the biggest risk of the project is that if we fall behind, there's not much room to play catch up. 
you know, without us spending Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's here. Well, and I would actually push back and say that um, you're not doing everything all at once because there are some integrations that are separate projects altogether that you're hoping to dovetail into this project, you know, some billing system items and some other, like, items with your call center that you're hoping to eventually um, sort of assimilate, like, the Borg into this project <laughs> so that they all work really beautifully. But thankfully, that's years down the road. And that was one of the biggest things that came out during the initial discovery was that, you know, the initial vision for our new website was to create this seamless interface for, for patients. So they'd be able to log in and then in one place access patient portals, register for classes, request an appointment, actually not, sorry, not just request, but schedule an appointment directly, like, you know, the open table of physician scheduling. And, you know, it became evident that, you know, most organizations like ours, I mean, they have years and years, or actually decades at this point of IT infrastructure and systems that don't play nicely with each other. So, you know, so thankfully everyone, you know, was on the same page and realized that, the website is just step one towards solving those issues and that, yeah, you can't solve every one of the organization's, you know, ills with one web redesign and that this is really, I mean, this is a project that, you know, we're talking about phase one and phase two with design and implementation, but really, you know, phase three, phase four, phase five, that takes us out another three years probably. So what then would you say was the easiest part of this project? I will say, thankfully, getting approval to do the project, um, which might speak to the problems that our website had, because initially when we went to all of the stakeholders to say we want this approved and you know we need X amount of dollars, um, there was a resounding yes, here you go, take it. There wasn't a lot of you know pushback on it, and I think it just speaks to the fact of um, how bad the redesign um, of the current website was needed. So that's what I would say the easiest thing was. And you know what I, I think too, and and this is where um, just to let you know this is not an infomercial, you know, but. <laughs> I think the the prototyping phase of the project went insanely well. Like, you know, it took us a couple of weeks to kind of figure out, well, what was our design direction and what's the navigation going to look like and this, that, the other. But once we got through a couple of the initial mock-ups, you know, I really hadn't prototyped websites before. I pretty much designed and, and you know, had you know, layered files and then a front-end developer was going and taking all that and slicing and dicing but actually having prototyping as part of the design phase, mm -hmm. just it gave us a great product that we could show people internally, that they could see how things were going to work, how the responsive design was going to look. And that was another part of that, that stakeholder buy-in. I mean, it, it wasn't just, okay, here's a static you know, JPEG, and just imagine this on your phone. I mean, right. No, I mean, people were able to play with it. So the prototyping was probably the, the, the biggest surprise as well as the easiest part of the project. Right, and our prototypes, we do them in code, so it's actually in the browser where it lives, so you can play with it and see how things roll over and how they condense down to tablet and mobile size and how they scroll and, and interact. So, yeah, it, it, takes the, it takes it a whole leap forward, not looking at something static and having to, to explain to people how it works. And now going into implementation, mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's another resource that the implementation partner has to work with. I mean, mm -hmm. and there's, there's no question about how that interaction should be, you know, on page X or Y. And that's something I've run into in, in past projects where we've had these, these great mock-ups, and then you go to implementation, and all of a sudden, ah, that's off by a couple pixels, or, oh, that just, that's not, the drop-down doesn't look like we think it should. I mean, there's no question going into the next phase. And that's where I was, um, I was a little worried because I, I swear I had a project manager that, that quit after working with me in a project, um, external, you know, a vendor's project manager, because I kept going back during implementation. And I'm like, no, that's off. That's not lining up. That's off by a pixel. That's off by two pixels, you know? Um, you know, when, when a project of this size, I think you have to be pretty demanding about the, the end product. I mean, you're, you're writing big checks for this stuff. And, you know, the great thing is with the prototypes, I, I don't think there's any, I don't think that'll be an issue. They're not going to call me one pixel Andy during implementation. <laughs> And I was just going to say, I think, you know, one of the great things has been, you know, 
from the design standpoint, I think that um, the designs we've gotten, we have people working on the project who just get it. I think that, you know, it's come together really well when you explain something. You know, I had fear. I've been with other design agencies where, you know, you, you talk about all this and you come back and you're like, that's not anything about what we were envisioning and it's not accomplishing, you know, what we want to do and you just know it. But I think in this um, project, it's been great because um, I think people just get it and to stay true to what the intention was and what we're trying to do with the website. And I think that that's um, been carried through in the design, which is great. Well, good. I'm glad you guys feel that way. Well, <laughs> well, Andy, since you yourself are a former DJ, I'm out of questions, but I would love some sort of amazing classic public service announcement or what's your biggest tip for someone moving forward on their uh, huge website redesign that you can, what can you offer them? Let's see. Well, I'm trying to think of that advice. I'm thinking of the best advice one of my program directors ever gave me. So if anyone's actually getting into podcasting or, or they want to you know, never move out of their parents' house and work in radio, um, I still remember one of my program directors once told me that even though you're talking to hundreds of thousands of people at a time that could be listening, you're still talking to each individual person in their cars. And you're kind of having this like one-on-one -on -one conversation with 100,000 or 200,000 people all at once. So if you ever want to get into podcasting or radio or whatever, just remember, just, just have a normal conversation like we're having. And I guess in this case, it's almost like, you know, I guess if you're listening, you're kind of eavesdropping in on a conversation, you know. But if you're doing a one-on-one -on -one podcast, you know, or solo podcast, you know, remember, you're talking to each individual listener, which is kind of like the web experience in a way. You know, you're, you're looking at stats in aggregate, but at the end of the day, each one of those stats is a visit from someone. And, you know, that's where I, I, I joke about, you know, Google Analytics real time. I, I, I call it like, you know, stat porn because, I mean, there's almost no, <laughs> there's almost nothing you can use Google real time for, um, which if you haven't played with it, it's, it's in Google Analytics. It shows you what's happening on your website right now. And it's who's there, how many visitors, what are they looking at, like, right now. And it's, an, it's a great way to waste a half hour. And I'm sure there's probably some really good use for it. But at the end of the day, though, I mean, I think the biggest um, advantage of that is that it, it kind of reinforces the fact that right now, as we're talking, there's probably 100 people on our website right now looking for something. And making sure that as you're redesigning that you're – you're not getting lost in those huge numbers and thinking about the small numbers and those small paths through your content. And then at the same time, stepping back and looking at Google real time and, you know, enjoying the stat porn for what it is. But it's, it's great, though, by the way. If you haven't checked it out, it's, it's, it's the perfect thing to, to watch while you're eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich at your desk. Well, thank you both so much, Andy and Christine, for letting me come talk to you. We can't wait until the site launches in the spring. I'm sure you can't either at this point. It's been so long that you've been working towards this. So um, congratulations, and we, uh, we look forward to seeing it in 2016. Definitely. Thanks for having us, and we'd love to come back and talk about the site when it, uh, when it launches and, and share some, some stats a year from now. Absolutely. That'd be great. I hope you enjoyed this first episode of On the Air with Palantir. To hear future episodes, make sure to subscribe on our website at palantir.net. You can also follow along with us on Twitter. We are at Palantir or read our blog at palantir.net as well. Thanks for listening.